Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about the Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Paul, it's always good to see you, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about when bad agreements come back to take a bite out of your nachos. Well, now, scary. That's a quote. So you know, <laughs> we'll kind of take you behind the scenes a little bit of like some of our show planning. You know, Paul and I yeah. are exchanging messages about what we're going to talk about. And it's kind of Paul's turn to kind of come up with like one of these topics when it's just the two of us. And I said, Paul, what are we going to talk about? And he emailed me back and I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'll explain. You need to be a little more specific, yeah. Paul. <laughs> well, I, we always think of nachos as a good thing. We think of uh, nachos as uh, as sharing. So I like voluntary sharing my nachos, but I wouldn't want someone to come and just take a bite uh, out of my nachos without my permission or, you know, in, in a way that uh, was not fair. And I see as I read through the Facebook groups or get private messages or just even deal with transitions myself that, you know, the topic of agreements and, you know, signing agreements you know, you sign them, something good happens, you're a partner, you're an associate or this, but then they come back and, you know, I have a, um, a good lead off here. But first, Rob, I want to say you're, 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 you're looking good. You're, I know you're feeling good. Uh, and I ask <laughs> for an old, uh, yeah, for, well, no, for medium aged, you're still medium aged, you know, uh, yeah, still medium aged. And, uh, you know, I know um, we've been friends for a while. We've had many, you know, meals and uh, drinks together. But you were—I get the nacho question. Yeah, well, yeah. But Rob is now a plant-based. So, what or what is what is one of your favorite plant-based nacho topics? Yeah, so I, I started doing that and sort of drug my wife down with me. <laughs> that uh, I guess uh, for about four months ago. So we're. Uh, and it's been pretty cool so far. Definitely uh, feeling uh, good. And I've had a lot of energy and sort of some of the things that made me sort of wary or some of the popular misconceptions I've not found to be the case. Nice. Uh, and uh, and it's actually it's gotten easier, I think, to, to eat this way than it probably was even like five years ago. Just because there's so many restaurants yeah. and, and like good options that are accessible now. Totally. I've to seen that like, myself. Yeah. Just chasing down the rabbit hole. I mean, there's things on menus. But um, best topping that is uh, plant-based, um, like probably jackfruit. Oh, nice. jackfruit. jackfruit. So for people that are sort of eating things and are uh, carb conscious, that is like the evil empire. Uh, but I've got the, like, the green light on carbs now, which nice. is kind of like a funny I thing. I like that. To- yeah, it's kind of weird, actually. It's taken a while to kind of re- rewire, you know, what your expectations are in that regard but um so yeah jackfruit is like one of those things that kind of it's a good meat replacement we have a a sea event coming up and we we partner and collaborate a lot so and we do a lot in philly so you can take any of these people on sort of a uh, plant-based tour of philly or give them some you know uh uh, plant-based options here because philly has a lot of places that 
you can uh, partake of this in, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, there's a place actually uh, in like Kensington, Fishtown area, uh, where we first had those tacos. Oh, nice. And there's a lot of other things. Though, you know, last weekend I was in Orlando, and I will tell you, that is not an easy place. Not an easy place to, to, to be eating that Track down plant-based? Not at all. I mean, uh, it's like, you know, at Disney, you know, part of the, the Disney resort, I walk in the, the restaurant and said to the woman, how, you know, can you do anything here that is, you know, is vegan? And, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, we can change whatever on, is on the menu and make it that way. And I looked and it's like steak, <laughs> yeah. fried chicken, <laughs> you, uh, you know, uh, fish. Uh, like, well, I'm like, I don't know how you're going to make this stuff vegan. Well, like somebody can like magically. Well, now you're back here in Philly with that. So, uh, well, that's easy. Uh, that's yeah. I'll have to try jackfruit nachos. And, in you know, my inspiration for this episode, I like stories that people can tell. I like ranting. And, you know, I think stories tell um can really help us understand what's going on out there in the dentisting space. So to start us off, I saw a a post about a dentist who's an associate, super nice, and was asking, you know, is it possible to dial down uh, your restrictive covenant? So she had signed a restrictive covenant of 20 miles. And it just, you know, to me, that sounds like a a large distance wherever you are. I know there might be some areas of the country where that's reasonable, but she was in an area. I was was doing a a presentation uh, now. It's probably like five or six years ago to a group of residents and and, uh, (laughs) talking about employment agreements and non-competes. And this guy comes up after kind of sheepishly. It's like, well, what do you think uh, about a uh, 65 mile non-compete? But he was like someplace in like Wyoming or Montana, where you had to go some yeah. you know, 50 plus miles to get to the next place. So it's very much a context, contextual thing. Yeah. You know, if you're in New York City, that that's off the charts. But, you know, in some places, that's a number that, yeah, it, it, it may be on the high side generally, but it, it might be OK. Too. So, so this yeah, so this dentist is kind of calling out to the Facebook world, which is great to share information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we go to our advisors <laughs> and experts. So she was saying, is it possible to dial down and restrict your covenant from 20 to 15 miles or 20 to 10 miles? And I said, I'm going to ask my uh, good amigo, Rob Montgomery, who's in this world. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts or if that's possible or yeah. if you've been in those scenarios. So. <clears throat> A lot of this stuff is really, well, non-competes is really state-specific when it comes to the law of non-competes. Probably more so than anything in the legal dental world, uh, non-competes and what the law is varies from state to state. Uh, A lot of the other legal issues that come up are fairly straightforward and uniform, but these are very different. And so, you know, before I answer the question, I will say that, you know, Facebook groups, especially on this issue, it drives me crazy. You know, uh, Facebook groups, great place to get information, a great resource to bounce things off of people. It amazes me when people chime in who have not seen the agreement, who don't even know what state the person is, and they start giving right, advice yeah. on these things. Um, so, and, that, and, well, there's just, my rant. I'll, I'll you, just, just so we can just be helpful to our listeners who are watching. And, and of course, you notice there's many dentists on that thread who said, these are not enforceable. But I've learned from my good friend saying, you have to take that in front of a judge to find out. And by yeah. that point, you might not have lost the practice right. that you were trying to buy. You might, you know, not be able to switch jobs. So that's a, that's a great dis- disclaimer there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I tell people, you know, don't sign something that you aren't willing to or able to follow through on right. and, and in reliance of the fact that the court's going to change it for you because that, that's just a bad sport to have to, to go through right. litigation for, for anything. So back to your question. So um, how hard is it uh, if the employer is willing to cooperate and sign a document saying that 20 can now be 10? It's pretty easy. Right. 
However, you know, that's probably not a realistic expectation. The employer must have put it in there for a reason to begin with. And now they're probably not going to make it really easy to to change it down to to 10 miles. And, you know, of course, uh, these conversations, I don't know if this person is still working for the practice or if they've uh, if they've left. But, uh, you know, they tell people, too, that you have to think about any kind of concession you're looking for from the employer. Usually these things come to light when you're leaving the practice. So this is a breakup. Yeah. Right. Right. So there there are breakups or breakups. There are good breakups. Right. And there are bad breakups. But even the good breakups aren't so great. Right. So so this is like going to ask somebody for a favor while you're breaking up. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's very unusual that that that's going to be met with like, you know, and received well. Uh, and, totally. And, and that they're going to go ahead and do it. But if that's not, if they're not going to cooperate, then in, in reducing that, that 20 to 10, um, you would have to go through a court process and file a complaint with uh, a lawsuit, right. you know, with the court asking for relief from the non-compete. And, you know, maybe you would say that, you know, 20 is excessive. And then it's on the judge in most states to say, well, what is reasonable? So you could have this whole lawsuit right. with hearings and depositions and the whole expense, the expense on the, the associate side could be six figures. Yeah. You know, like that. this is expensive litigation. Uh, and then but you can go through all this and, and you could find the judge could say, well, 20 is unfair. I completely agree. Your non-compete will be 15 miles. Right. You're like, wow, I spent a lot of money to shave off five miles. Right. So and I'm it, thinking, Robin, you, we, we uh, collaborate in a lot of these endeavors. Let's just say that this is for a practice purchase, that the associate wants to move on, purchase their own practice. That happens, you know, but it's within the restrictive covenant. And they're talking to a broker like me, Paul Goodman, and it's an attractive practice where there's 10 people buying it. One of my first questions is, do you have a restrictive covenant? And then if, if I hear this, they just mentally go to the bottom of the list because right. I know my job to the seller is to get a tr- the transition done. And I don't want to get to the to the 20 yard line, the red zone, like in football, mm-hmm. and then say to the seller, oh yeah, the, we have this restrictive covenant issue uh, with their other employer. So to, to the young associates, that's why it's just so important. What you said is it, like, don't sign something you don't want to follow through with. Right. Because if you want to practice in that area and that's where you're going to grow up and that's where you're going to be, as we've talked about, it can be come back to really take a bite out of your nachos. Yeah. So per, per, per that, that's where it comes <laughs> I, from. It's I like, get it. Yeah, I, 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 I know I the get theme. It. I, I, I'm aware. But, but the other thing with, with the acquisition uh, in that context, Paul, uh, you know, you the only if you have a non-compete, even if it's crazy, even if it's 20 miles in Manhattan, right? right? Everybody, everybody knows there's no way in the world the 20 mile non-compete could possibly be enforceable in this yeah. area, right? And you, you send that document to to your lender in right, course yeah. of their their underwriting, and they'll say, yeah, we agree that'll never be enforceable. But we're not going to lend you the money, you know, yeah. because they will they don't want to find out that you know the, uh, the the court enforces that thing, and and or that there's some sort of injunctive relief brought, or a a, a sheriff shows up on opening right. day to to serve a cease and desist order, you know, and so even if it may not be enforceable. The only way you find out is maybe spend six figures. And if you don't spend six figures, then you're going to be stuck with this crazy non-compete that's going to potentially restrict your ability to do a purchase or to do a startup in a particular place. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, I know you know a lot about real estate, Robin. We're in, in 
uh, Philly. And, you know, I've heard, you know, when people buy a home, they say, you know, I couldn't buy this house. I got mm -hmm. somebody came with an all cash offer. Right. And, you know, they had to get a, a loan to purchase a home. Mm -hmm. Same deal with acquisitions. You know, Seinfeld is a funny joke. Like, you know, it always feels like not very tough writing a check because a check is like a note from your mom. Like, yes, Jerry has this money. Right. Uh -huh. and, and in this world, an associate, as I would, needs the money from a bank. And they might be competing also against DSOs or corporate who don't need money from the bank. Right. So you can't do anything that loses the momentum. I mean, you've told me time kills all deals. And, you know, that's just what I would encourage our listeners to think about. Don't sign up for anything that's going to derail the momentum of you purchasing a practice. And that's why sometimes you got to make a decision when you're out of your GPR. That's a tough one because five, four or five years from now, that could come back. So I like that one, that story, Rob, dialing down the non-compete things. How about... Well, uh, let, me, let me stop oh, you sure. for a second there, too, because I think this is a good, a good place to kind of have this conversation. And you're talking about people coming out of a GPR, a residency, or even graduating from dental school, signing agreements. Right. And, you know, I like to talk to, to people when we give seminars and presentations and meet with, with, with dentists about this, that you have to understand that these agreements are different from all the other agreements that you've seen or looked at right. up to this point of your life. You know, like you're in college or out of college or you're in dental school and you sign a lease for an apartment. Right? You know, you may try to haggle a little right. bit about what the rent is, right? But you're not negotiating the, the sort of the fine print and, and all the, the legalese. If you go into, you know, a, a Subaru dealer to lease a Subaru, they hand you a, you know, whatever, a five page right. single spaced, you know, six point font document. Right. And uh, you don't sit there and read the right, whole yeah. lease. Right. People would think you are a maniac. <laughs> right. Even we don't yeah. do that as, as lawyers or certainly no lawyers I know. <laughs> Um, so, like, none of those things are negotiable, and none of those things really can have that much of an impact right, on yeah. your future. In some respects, they've been vetted. So, you know, like, for example, maybe Subaru is probably, or whomever the leasing company yeah. is, they may have been sued at various times, and, and you know, whatever Changes, government yeah. agencies say this is the law. And so somebody's kind of looking out for you in that, and it's just kind of, it's kind of what I would consider to be, like, a vanilla right. agreement, right, from an impact standpoint. But now... When you start signing these agreements for to be an associate or to lease a, a practice or to buy into a practice or uh, an operating agreement or a partnership agreement, it's a totally different thing. So now what used to be this like, yeah, it's a contract, I'll sign it, whatever, I don't have to really worry about what's in it. It's no longer the case. You know, this right. is like grown up contracting. Yeah. Now. Yes, and, yeah. And what's in these agreements matters and it impacts you in a way that you may not realize at the time that you read it. So a lot of times people can read these agreements and think, okay, I, I obviously I'm educated. I'm a dentist. I've read this. It makes sense. I know what this says, but, and you may even know what it means, but you don't understand what the impact yeah. is. And, you know, nobody I think goes into signing a non-compete in an associate agreement thinking like, hey, you know, if it's excessive, I'm not going to be able to borrow money to do a startup in this area. Right. Like that's the last thing on their mind. right? Well, because they have an immediate need. And, and it's just an important point, because let's just take the dental student who's invested $500,000 in four years of their life. And now let's take the student getting a job and they need they have it reviewed. This is one of the times in life where there's no downside. You know, you have a contract, you have it reviewed by by a dental focused attorney, which is dentist like numbers, Rob, let's say it cost them 
ninety-seven dollars. I'm just going to use that, right? <laughs> it's a, you pay eight ninety-seven, and nothing bad happens because right. either the dental focus attorney says, you know what, this is a pretty good agreement. This thing over here, maybe you want to switch this around, but overall, it's a good agreement. Uh, there's nothing major to be aware of that's going to come back and take a bite out of your nachos. Great, right? Great use of eight ninety-seven to feel confident, or. Better use is, is a, hey, there's three or four points in this contract that could affect you later. Did, are you the one who told me that, you know, you just bought a house and the main line and you have two kids? Well, this is this precludes you from working or uh, buying a practice in 20 miles. Is, is your right. wife or your husband could be going to be OK? Right. Even a better use of it. So I just encourage them I mean, when you want someone to read it over, just like to put it in the dental speak. You know, everyone out there has had a friend who said, I got a treatment plan from a dentist. Is this normal? Could you give me a second opinion? And most of the time, dentists will not charge for it. But let's just say they do charge and you charge someone 500 bucks to give them a second opinion for a $50,000 dental case. I may say, this looks like a great case. Your mother-in-law is going to do great with these implants. Or I might say, uh, this is way out of bounds, right? Like everything they've recommended here for a 45-year-old male, you don't need 15, uh, you don't need five quadrants of scaling and root planning. There's only four quadrants total. And I'm just sort of making a joke that you can't understand, Rob, well, but our I, audience will but, laugh. But, but I can get five, I can get the fact there's only four quadrants. <laughs> yeah, and yes, that, yes. that fall yeah, yeah. is not so, over my yeah, head. you got correctly. that one. So, uh, you know, that's just why that's so important. And so we're kind of walking, the reason I'm appreciate your input on this. So we're talking right now about, an associate dialing down a restrictive covenant. Now we'll up it in our story world. Uh, one of the hotter topics in dentistry with DSOs and corporate dentistry, you know, partnering with a non-dentist who just wants to, this is from a, a group, uh, partnering with a non-dentist who just wants to use your license for an equity stake in the company. So this, I know this is part of your world. Tell us a little bit about how these things could take a bite out of your nachos. Well, yeah, it's one when you actually mentioned this in uh, my office uh, before we came in here and Justin was standing there, we both just kind of cringed yeah. you know, because they, we could do three episodes <laughs> right, uh, on, on this. this subject alone. So uh, and so a lot of states where um, you have to be a, a licensed dentist in order to own a dental practice, uh, private equity or you know group practices non-dentist owned practices need to find a quote unquote a dentist you know to use their quote unquote license right. to uh, to be able to own and operate the practice um, and you know what that means after that all depends on what is in the agreements but it's one that can vary uh, pretty wildly uh, and I think it's sort of the classic example of why you have to understand what you're agreeing to, because there's a reason why the dentist is required to own the practice. So if somebody is owning, uh, or is quote unquote, the owner of the practice for somebody else, or essentially what we refer to as a straw okay. or a straw party, uh, they are the owner and and with the good and the bad right. and, and pretty pretty much not a whole lot of the good right yeah, so yeah. so the DSO did not buy this practice for that owner to have you know a, a great financial income right. I shouldn't say the owner the the, the, the straw owner right, that is great financial uh, situation so really it's just about picking up liability from that you know young dentist's uh, standpoint and then it's just going to depend on what the agreement says. You know, is the DSO indemnifying that dentist for things that happen in that practice? Because if you are, quote unquote, the practice owner and somebody sues the practice for sexual harassment, there's, uh, you know, a, a problem with a vendor, uh, there's a state board problem, things that are beyond the control 
uh, of that dentist, then they could be liable, and they need to have the ability to recoup that money from. And the I'm DSO. sure what you've seen. I mean, it's, it's so important to to think about that because in this wacky world, I'm assuming sometimes they have this dentist who never sets foot inside the practice that they're the owner of, yeah. and they can't even control right. what's happening from a clinical standpoint, or even influence, would be better would be influence, clinical standpoint or management standpoint. So that just seems like something that dentists sometimes, and it's, and it's understandable, we don't learn a lot about business, our whole podcast is about what stuff they don't teach you in dental school, but a lot of times stuff that might sound good to a dentist ears, mm-hmm. they really need to run by some people who say, uh, this is the opposite of how it sounds sounds to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's about, if, yeah, if you stop me and think, you're like, somebody's asking me to be responsible right. for something else, right? Like, what am I being asked to be responsible for? And are they things that I can control, you know? And so some of these things could be, you know, uh, conditions of the office. And if the, you know, the DSO is not doing something properly from a sterilization standpoint or some other regulatory compliance standpoint, the dentist probably has no, in that situation, has no control over it whatsoever. And, you know, and they're going to be, quote unquote, responsible. And for all it. people have to do is listen to our past episodes where we've had the Linda Harvey's on and compliance issues and the David Harris's on right. and see how many layers there are, how many you know layers there are to the nachos of a dental practice and how it's easy to run into issues even when you're trying to do things right. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, you know, it's not easy. Oh, no, not at all. And, you know, and, and what people need to, you know, be aware of, too, is there are, you know, it can be okay. And a lot of people do it and it works out okay. But, you know, you have to be comfortable with the situation. And not only, and the other thing too, we could say in that in that case, we can put things in an agreement that says that the DSO will be responsible or indemnify you and all that stuff. But in this situation or any, there's nothing that a lawyer can put on paper that's going to make a bad situation good. Yeah, you know, right. So like you can't correct a problem. That gives you, you know, agreements give you recourse. It gives you the ability to sue somebody if if or demand payment if something goes wrong, right? But that won't you can't assess a situation where you say, like, hey, I'm dealing with some shady people. I don't really trust these guys, but I've got a great contract. Right, yeah. Like run away. <laughs> yeah, right, That's yeah. not okay. You and, know, the contract's uh-huh. the fallback. We can't fix a bad actor or a bad situation right. or a bad relationship with a contract. I mean, a, a yeah. Rob Montgomery is people who start off unreasonable don't usually get more reasonable. <laughs> I think about that a lot all the time, you know, it's so good. it's it's a good point. So, uh, so we dug into the associate, dialing down the uh, non-compete, talking about someone use your license. Um, how about this? And this is, you know, just in a different sphere of, you know, buying a minority interest. So, you know, uh, you know, I come from a dental background where my dad worked for his associate for a year and there was intention to buy in 50 50 and he bought in 50 50 in the olden days and they were partners for 35 years or more and it went well overall and uh that's rare because most dentists work by themselves but there are still opportunities someone's working as an associate the owners you know 15 years older than them and says hey i don't want to sell you 50 percent of my practice but why don't you buy 20 percent now and 10% a year for the next three years. Tell us a little bit about how that can take a bite out of someone's nachos. Well, that's, that's an, this is another three-episode <laughs> yeah, yeah, series with this one, right? So, on this, so we have to take yes. notes of this, Paul, yeah. so we remember what, what some topics to cover in the future. But, um, 
a lot of things can go wrong with that. So one, you know, uh, what, how is that value uh, going to be established in the future? You know, is it going to be reappraised every every year when that buy-in comes in? So if that's the case and you're paying more each year, well, then you're helping build up this practice and you're paying right. for what you've helped build up. Uh, the other potential problem is, uh, you know, what happens if that person doesn't give you those additional, that additional equity or sell you that additional equity? So, you know, it's not uh, uncommon to see people that have bought in to a 50-50 partnership, right? So you have two dentists. Yeah. Somebody comes in, the, the junior, younger dentist is going to buy in a, a 20% interest. So 10% right. from each of them. So then after you're done, you've got 40, 40, and 20 without any provision for those additional, you know, incremental buy-ins. Right. And so now they are, you know, the owner, lock, stock, and barrel yeah. up a 20% interest in a dental practice, which uh, I'm going to suggest is not worth 20% of the overall value of that business. Right. Um, you know, and so issues of control come in. You know, are you going to be able to do things in a way that you want to and truly act like an owner? Yeah. I mean, you can be an owner on paper, but if, you know, once you walk into the you know, the front door right, of the yes, office, yeah. you're, you're just like an associate. Well, then you're an associate who basically paid for his job. Uh, you know, you're not truly an owner. Uh, and so if you have a situation where you don't have the mechanism to uh, ultimately buy a controlling interest, then you could just be stymied forever with that 20% interest with probably a fairly significant non-compete that goes right. with so it. Right, so there's not much good part there. You know, this is this. It's like the Hotel California, yeah. Bob, right? You can check out anytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can never leave, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so there, I there like you that. are. And uh, I think this is, to bring it back to my expertise of nacho eating, sometimes if too many people try to share my nachos, you know what I say? we need another plate of nachos, okay? So, like, I don't want to brag about how successful I am, but I can just get another $17 plate if everyone's... If you've been in these scenarios where people are all eating from one thing and we don't need another one, and then I wonder where we're going yeah, with yeah, this, but keep no, going. So what I'm saying <laughs> is these... I've been asked as buyer, coach, helper, get people to you is, hey, we want to offer our associate 20% because we don't want him or her to leave. And I say, what you guys really should do is look for another office where you collaborate on and not contaminate your core office mm -hmm. because there might not be anything good for any of you with right. this arrangement. This, this associate might be mm -hmm. making good money as an associate. Right. And now it's weird, right? They've paid, they've taken out, they either taken out a loan or they paid. And now it's almost like it's contaminated their core plate of nachos. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense to just look for another plate and say, hey, the three of us are going to go in a third each on a satellite practice. I'm, I'm just sort of just talking off the top of my head, mm -hmm. but I just, I just, I've learned from you is that you could really contaminate your core plate of nachos and the two owners should think to themselves, why do they even want to offer this to somebody else? Yeah. And, and well, I think it goes uh, to, it's an interesting point that people just do things because they think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And like, this is one of those classic examples and it's kind of similar to like, I want to own the real estate. You know, uh, I want to I want to own. I'm not going to rent. I'm an owner. You know, it's just the same thing. Like I own I'm a partner in this practice. Yeah. I, I own part of the practice. You know, it's like this, like, you know, hitch up the wagon and ride west and you know, stake your claim. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like that mentality that, like, you know, for better or for worse, I think us, you know, we as Americans are maybe sometimes like over fixated on yeah. that, you know, but why is it really good for you yeah. to own this practice or is it really good for you to sell this portion of the practice? So what we see a lot of times, too, with like a younger dentist coming in, buying in that situation, even if they're buying in 50 percent, yeah. Paul. 
just because you own 50% of the practice on paper does not mean that you are truly like an right. equal owner. In fact, you probably will not be. You know, if, if there's somebody that's been in that office for 30 years and has owned the practice and everybody's worked for him for 25 or 30 years, just because you signed some documents in your lawyer's office a couple of days before and now have paid maybe a million dollars for that 50% right. interest does not mean that you are a half owner. As, as disappointing a, a statement as that may sound, it's just the way it is. So, um, you know, understanding truly what you're getting is a big thing. And I think where that comes into another problem with that is just and I think this is another topic we're going to talk about is the due diligence you know doing the cash flow analysis working with the CPA to help uh, make the decision as to what you truly are getting for that 20% interest so where we see like a common problem with this is like let's go back to that 50 50 you know dentist uh, uh, scenario where somebody's going to buy one of the dentists out maybe yeah um, well, you know, if their partners have been around for a while, maybe one of the dentists doesn't produce nearly as much right. as the other. So if that person that you're buying their goodwill, essentially, you're stepping into their shoes. Well, let's just say they only produce 30% of the dentistry in that practice. That 50% interest in that practice probably is not worth 50%. Right. I mean, you're only getting future cash flow, you know, future, you know, the ability to practice dentistry and to to generate revenue, but that but that's not half of it. So you're not going to get half. And that's you know, only I, what you get when you become a partner. And so you have to value that interest as something less. Even though you have a quote-unquote 50% interest, that interest itself is not as valuable. Yeah, so, and and so sometimes I see, you know, we've spoken a lot about not having dual representation, no representation, but sometimes I feel prior to some of these, uh, these deals, people need like either a mediator or just a sounding board. Cause you know, sometimes you have a 63 year old dentist who says, I'm going to partner with my 28 year old associate. And I want to say to him, why would you want to do that? Right? Like, right. why don't you work for two more years and then be their associate? Right. right? Sell, like, sell hundred percent. Yeah, like, well, be an employee. Tell me the good part. Like what you're going to be right. 50, 50. Now you're going to do all these documents, you do all this stuff. And then, what happens next? The net person needs one. You just flip spots. It's like sometimes both both sides just need some awareness, to use a term from you, of, of what's right. out there. Right. And uh, I was just having dinner with a great dentist last night who said, you know, I wish there was things like not dental nachos and all these podcasts when I was younger because he had gotten himself into some challenging situations. But even in 2019, sometimes people don't look around for the resources that they can utilize that are just right at their fingertips or their, or their Facebook tips, right, to yeah. say uh, – to know it's normal and, and they get involved in these scenarios where become emotional right. and uh, it winds up being a bad long-term plan for sometimes both of the people, which mm-hmm. is, which is extra sad. So I, well, I appreciate, appreciate sharing that. Well, I think, but I think it happens because people are just on autopilot. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like they do it because they think it's the right thing to do. You know, it's like you go to college, you know, you get into the best college you get into, and then you go, want to go to dental school, you go to the best dental school you get into, then you take the best job, you work there. It's, it's just this, this path. And then it's like you reach a point where it's like, it's time for me to be a partner. Yes. It's time for me to bring on a partner. It's time for me to sell. But, you know, those sort of, the, that's sort of like a generic game plan, right? Yeah. You know, and, and how that, what that actually means to you in a particular situation all depends on the details, the details of the economics, the accounting, the cash flow, yeah. the documents, you know, the contract between and the other dentists. That's why you said that when dentists listening, that everybody loves a movie preview, what's going to happen next. That's why what going to a dental focused accountant, they give you a preview of what your life's going to be like. Right. Pay for the preview. 
right? Yeah, right. Because it's 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 well worth it. Right. When they show your previewer, it's like that you know that Scrooge movie, the ghost the ghost of you in the future, and they say after you buy this practice, you're actually going to not make any more money than you were as an associate, and have all the risk, and have the responsibility, mm-hmm. and have to build it up, and all the relationships with the older dentist. Maybe this is preview is not for you. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just like kind of laughing myself because you says the autopilot thing. Because one time I was talking to maybe an associate we're going to hire, none of the ones we have now, super super nice dentist, and it was a spouse a spouse who said, uh, you know, if this dentist is your associate, will they be a partner in this place soon? And I was like, why would they want to? I'm like, are you sure they would want to? I was like, yeah. it was like it was a very aggressive early question, yeah. and I think the spouse meant well for their their spouse, right. but they didn't have any idea what it meant to be a partner. You know, right. it's like you're a practice parent. I'm like, just focus on doing some dentistry as an associate first. But let's take it one step further. What does it mean to be a partner? It all depends on the practice <laughs> right. and the arrangement. Yes. So yeah. I think a lot of times people want, uh, they come to us, they want to hear like the answer. Yeah. Give, me, <laughs> right. give me give me, the playbook, yeah. you know? And, or they assume that, hey, my friend or classmate or colleague, uh, did a deal like this, so therefore I'm going to do a deal like that someplace else, and it's going to be exactly like right, their yeah. deal. And it's just not the case, you know. And this is why you have to drill down on the specifics of any opportunity, and 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 really you know do the due diligence that it takes. You just can't assume that you know you're you know happy ever after the happy ever ever uh, happy ever after happy ever after yeah, like a Disney movie yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a Disney. ending yeah. for your buddy is going to be the same end to your totally. story like they're different characters there's a different scene it's a different place it's a different time you know and uh, all those things matter and but I think a lot of times people kind of get sucked into that sort of like one size fits all thing you know whether it's you know doing an acquisition or even doing you know a startup you know you like oh, I don't really need a consultant. I can kind of get through all this stuff, you know, and it's like, there's like the one way to do it. And, you know, the really good consultants, you know, we do a lot with the ideal practices guys. They're awesome. You know, it's like, well, we'll make it the way you want to do it, given the situation that you're handing yourself and where you want to be and what the surroundings are and what your vision is. And then we'll put, put it all together and give you something that you want. But like, what you know, what you like and what you want is very different, Paul, from you know somebody else. Yeah, and and it's such, such an important point. That's just a theme of our our entire podcast. And what I we try to do is like, you know, don't drop things on your once nachos. And I mean, you know, these things your once nachos. Going to dental school, you most people you haven't heard said, oh, I, I did dental school, then I went back and I did optometry school, then I did law school. It's a rare occurrence. This is your thing. You know, yeah. this is your license. Yeah. And the same thing with these uh, practice scenarios. And and you see, you know. Um, when you, you touched on the due diligence and, you know, if we just uh, our next next topic, uh, if we have time is sort of unwinding of partnerships mm-hmm. is very difficult from what you've told me, too. Right. I mean, uh, you know, this is where it's come back to take a huge bite out of your nachos. It's brutal. Yeah. I mean, uh, because in, at, at, a several, at several levels, you know, it's brutal because it's uh, you know, it's very personal. Right. This is somebody that you used to be in business with. Uh, it's brutal that it's very disruptive from a, an economic standpoint because you know this is where you and your partner make your money. Now all of a sudden that's been uh, kind of turned upside down. Right. Uh, your staff; these are people that rely on on a paycheck. You know, are now working in a very unstable situation. Yeah. They start looking around. Well, well, if this thing you know goes up in flames, where am I going to go next? Right. So you start losing employees. Uh, start spending money with with lawyers, which is you know it's an, an epic waste of money, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's 
money that has to be spent when you find yourself in that situation. And, you know, they're non-competes to, to deal with. And, you know, it's all, it's not almost, it's like a divorce where you have kids. Yeah. Like there's not, no matter how many, no matter how you try to split it up, there's not going to be a way that that's good for everybody. Like after totally. it's done, it's not, it's never going to be as good as it was, you know, well, before. There's a lot more mobility. And I kind of use that in my lectures. You've heard it's like, you know, in divorce, which is not a positive thing, but someone picks up, moves across the country. They, they, you know, live in Napa, they're drinking wine, meeting someone new. You, you know, you're tied to this practice thing you have. Yeah. You don't have the same mobility that you do. And, uh, it's also, we you know you used, it was a great example. And also think about the patients, right? Cause it's like, then it just, it becomes something they can sense too. And you know, uh, that just goes back to how do you split up goodwill like that anyway? It's, it's hard and it's hard to, it's hard to transition goodwill in the most ideal circumstances, right, as you right. say, when you mm -hmm. one of our topics was, you know, when you need a dentist to stay around with you and may not fulfill that part of the obligation. So these agreements, um, partnership wise just seem to be of the utmost importance to dial into. And are you guys seeing, um, more or less partnerships in your clients. I'm just, well, I'm just actually totally curious. Yeah, I mean, they're I think- They're still pretty, pretty rare. No, they're not rare. Yeah. Um, I think that we see more people wanting to kind of group together to try to grow something that's bigger to be able to compete against, you know, corporate uh, dental and to have sort of stay relevant. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the reasons for doing partnerships have to be more than than hey like we're friends and we want to be partners right. like that that is the that's the reason not to do it you know right. that's there's no easier way to uh ruin a friendship uh or even uh, a relationship with a family member yeah than to have uh have a bad partner i mean i've worked with i work with my brother jeff now or my dad i'd say we've had some of the most ideal uh, dental relationships, but it's just incredibly stressful. I mean, it's like you want to have a friend, you could go have wine or or, or play a play a sport or uh, yeah. relax. It's it's not it's not relaxing to go into your dental office and and battle with someone all day. So you definitely have to be on the same page just to survive. And then if you have partners that are just, I mean, you've said this when we talk with the ideal practices people, it's like the culture of, of, of one partner and the vibe, like the surfer person has to be similar mm -hmm. or it's two seconds. Like you said, it's like, you know, the, the, fa the other family sees the staff sees. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just, we just had Anna on here, on here last week. And that's just a whole, when you have two people have to be accountable to, uh, employee manuals, employee, uh, discipline. It's just, it's a challenge. So to, as a, people hear us, it doesn't mean don't do it. It just right. means, be really aware of what it means. Yeah, and I think, and there's certain things that even like the contract itself can't can't cure. I mean, if you're not on the same page with somebody, it's like we said, you know, a little while ago, the, the agreement will not fix a bad situation. So if two people, even if they're friends and they enjoy, right. you know, they've been friends for 15, 20 years, you know, they've known each other since they were children, you know, and and they say we're going to be partners. You know, there are certain things that you know the way people have expectations and just fiscal habits that right. don't come up in their relationship you know like you and i are friends paul but you know what you don't know how i spend money right. i don't know how you spend yeah, right money. yes exactly so like you know we could find ourselves if we said okay let's do the dental amigos holiday party yeah right, right yes and and we could say like it's going to be at a uh, it's going to be a fifteen thousand dollar catered affair or one of us might think that that means you know if we're having a holiday party that it's time to go to costco and start stocking <laughs> yeah, right, up right exactly like we're not going to find that out until we stand yeah. and look at look at each other when it's time to plan that we're like holy smokes <laughs> yeah, we're well, you know, not how, on the same page how are we going to do this because that issue never came up you know like you can have fun 
watching you know football with your friend on a Sunday afternoon, but that's got nothing to do with whether or not you think that the office should have a Sarek. <laughs> yeah, right, you know? exactly. And, and, and or how much the office manager should be paid. And, and, that, and I think your, your point is so such a great one, and it's one I can share with you as someone who's just mixed up with all of this and love doing it, is that like that's just such a critical part to talk about early stages in any relationship you're going to get into. It could even be owner associate, but especially partner partner is to ask some of those tough questions and find out a little more about them. Because, you know, I've seen associates say, I'm going to work. It's this great dentist. She's got the same culture and philosophy as me. I'm like, have you been to the office yet? Like, no, no, but we did go to uh, Taco Bell, you know, or, or Starbucks. Yeah. I said, you got to really see because, um, you know, uh, I know I'm going to do it one day, Rob, let you the joy of doing a filling in someone's mouth, but it's just, it's an insanely stressful thing to be a dentist. And so many little things can go off script each day that you need to be on the same page with your, your business person just to have a chance. And if you're not, you know, you you see that. So, uh, um, do we have time for one more? I think we have time for one more. I'd like to talk about the lease. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That's actually come up, uh, reared its ugly head. I'll I'll turn to you, but that's, that's a Rob classic Rob Montgomery, uh, uh, meaningful joke without uh, what is it without a practice no, without, without a uh, without an office you can't have a dental office yeah, it's, just, it's just dental and that doesn't that's do it. anything that I like that unless, yeah, unless yeah. you're going to like treat people out of the back of a van which is becoming a thing in <laughs> yeah, dentistry yeah. right yes but if, if it's not what you signed yourself up for it's not necessarily what you want to do so um, we've seen this now recently a few times it's like you know sometimes we feel like a prophet you know yeah. like you know, make sure you get these provisions in your leases that allow you to assign the lease when it comes time to sell the practice and uh, if you don't have those provisions in your what could be 80 page commercial lease uh, then you're going to be at the whim of your landlord when it comes time to try to sell what is a very very significant and uh, from a personal standpoint and financial standpoint asset and uh, this is kind of like the classic what we call contractual awareness, where yeah. you can look at that lease at the time you sign it, you see what it says, it makes sense, it all looks okay, but you don't know what impact that can have. Yeah. And if you know you are looking to sell your practice and you see this, Paul, and you're not able to transition that lease because you have an unreasonable landlord and the lease itself doesn't give you the ability to go back to the landlord and say, hey, hey, right, yeah. what are you doing there, buddy? You know, like yeah. I'm trying to sell yeah. my, my business here and you're telling the person that you don't like them as a tenant, you right. know, like you're, this is going to cost me money. But if you don't have that in there, uh, you, uh, you're really, uh, you're missing, uh, missing an opportunity that, and it could come back to haunt you. And there's no way you know that when you when you sign the lease necessarily uh but you sure find out when it comes time to and, and that's just such a great point then i was just talking with some you know who do you need in your life you need people to say is this normal right you have a child and you know you have a baby and something happens you want to talk to someone and say is this normal that they get up three times a night and they say yeah that's normal and you say that makes you feel better uh and you need you need this this normal people and the stuff with the lease i mean i've learned from you a lot it's like the stuff that sounds totally normal to me is, is not normal. And I'll just give my our dentist, if I said, hey, Rob, you know, your bite is a little off. So what we're going to do is, you know, you're a medium-aged person. You've had teeth for a while. Uh, you've been had a lot of meals. Then we're just going to crown the upper right five to make sure your bite is fine, right? And, sounds fine to me, Paul. Right. And dentists are saying, oh, they're pulling their hair out, saying, this guy's shystering Rob. But it sounds yeah. good to you, right? Right. I'm, they've been in your mouth for a long time. They've had a lot of wear and tear. We'll crown them. Crowning makes them better, right? It's I, I could do this in two seconds, and you would be saying, you'd be shaking my hand saying, I'll sign up for those five crowns. Right. And, um, you know, it's 
it, it, it's the one time like I might even believe in them to some degree. Or maybe these landlords believe in these things. I, I, I don't, I don't sure. know what's inside their mind where they're saying I'm trying. But you can say as the protector of the, the dentist that, that that's not normal in a lease. And just like I, we can do that for patients. So look for that. Is this normal? And I find the leases to be just really difficult to understand. Well, let me uh, take it one step further. It is normal in a lot of leases. Right, it, it's. It, I don't even know if it's in my lease here yeah. where I am. It doesn't matter because if if I can't, I don't need to sell my business right. and, yeah, and deliver true. the yeah. lease. So it is it is normal in other other leases or leases for people other than dentists. Yeah. But for dentists, it's something that they really have to try to get because what's normal for a CPA or for a lawyer. Uh, there's a totally different, you know, set of, uh, of facts and and uh, priorities and things to worry about when it comes to the dentist because you, without a dental without an office, Paul, you can't have a dental <laughs> like office, that. right? Better. So you have to be able to transition that. So, you know, the whole quirky nature of a dental practice where you're a tenant, where you've put all this money, yeah. hundreds of thousands so of dollars into so this, this improvement yeah. in this building that you don't own, like that's a quirky investment, right? Yeah. But it makes sense because you can make money while you're practicing there. And when it comes time to transition the practice, you could sell the practice and and deliver and transition that improved dental office. You know, that's part of the deal. Uh, and so, you know, that's a different situation than for me. It's like, hey, you know, if, if we ever sold our law practice, we would just merge and go someplace else and be like, here, you know, like, take it back. It's, like, it's, I don't need to say, like, my deal to sell my practice is contingent on the lawyers coming in and, and having my office. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Nobody cares about because I'm the office. only client here, the favorite one. Yeah, so that's, that's a. I think it's an important point. I appreciate you uh, uh, digging into this. All these things that can take a bite out of your nachos. You know, I think we've we've got a lot of great stuff we can use for future episodes because it's just so important that we share this for dentists so that they can just be thinking about these things through all stages of their career. And there's just not enough of it out there. So uh, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I know we have some good stuff for the future there, Rob. Okay. Thank you, Paul. And I now understand what it means to not want someone to take a bite out yeah, of your nachos. Yeah, we know. Yeah, <laughs> really. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.